Hello and welcome to Social Justice Matters, a podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Colette Bennett and I'm Economic and Social Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As regular listeners will know, we have three types of podcasts. We have our 10-minute lesson series, which is a brief overview of some policy areas, touching on the main things we think you need to know about. We have our seminar series, which is a chance to listen back to some of our best conferences and seminars, and to hear from experts such as Tony Fahey, Anne Pettifor, Joe Larragy, and so on. And we have our interview series, and that's when we get to sit down and have a good old chat with some experts on policy or policy-related areas. And today is one of those. Today, I am talking to Dr. Michelle Marr, and she has set up See Her Elected, or She. Um, and Michelle is really passionate about this project. It's aim is to increase participation among women in rural areas, particularly in local authority um, councillors and committees. This was a fantastic podcast. And while I don't like to play favourites, you can really hear the passion that Michelle has for the subject. Uh, so it was really, really enjoyable. And I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Thank you. So, Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, always great when I get to talk about one of my favourite subjects, which is women in politics. So tell me, I'll give you the easy questions. Uh, <laughs> what is See Her Elected or, or She, as it's become known, and why did you set it up? Well, it's a, a programme funded by the Department of Housing, Local Government and Heritage, and it was set up to specifically address what you could only call the appallingly low number of women in county councils out in rural Ireland. So we've been seeing some progress in the councils, say the, the Dublin councils, and even in the counties around Dublin. You know, after the last local elections, a lot of those Dublin councils were, you know, approaching 50-50 men and women um, in counties like Louth, Mead, Kildare, Wicklow. The number of women councillors, well, they at least climb into the double digits. But you know, if you kind of step out of Dublin and head west or will head in any direction, really out into rural Ireland, it's a very, very different story. So just to give you a taster of what that story is like, you have Donegal, my own county, big rural county, 37 county councillors there. There's only four of them are women. Mayo, another example, big county with 30 county councillors, and there's just two women there. Longford, 18 councillors, there's only two there. And in County Offaly, at the moment, there is only one single woman in that council chamber when the 19 county councillors sit down. So certainly something specific was required in rural Ireland, and that was where See Her Elected came in. So two organisations is Longford Women's Link, based in Longford Town, and 5050 Northwest, who operate up in kind of the Donegal, Sligo, Leitrim area. They got together to try and do something about this. So they applied for funding prior to the 2019 local elections to do a, a piece of training with women who were running in those elections. And um, it was clear that there was an appetite for support for women specifically out in rural Ireland. So they made a further request later on in 2019 for a more sustained uh, funding for a programme, the See Her Elected programme, uh, which allowed them to employ a programme manager who is yours truly. So I started, I suppose, in, in January 2020. Oh my God, did I have great plans. I was going to do the devil and all. And of course, like the rest of the country, the world really, COVID put the kibosh on that. So what I had to do was I just had to move everything online, which, of course, did away with 
the sort of the geographic where Midlands Northwest, because women from no matter where they were in the country could join in with what we were doing or what we are doing. So so what is it that we do? Well, I suppose my starting point, and it still is what guides me, is all that existing research that's out there about why there are so few women. And first up is, you know, that kind of self-perceived idea that women hold about themselves that they just don't know enough about politics. And then the second kind of big area is that I don't know where to start or I need to be wait to be asked, you know, and they were two big findings that were in, in the existing research. So we started She School and it's very handy having something like She that you can just put in front of things <laughs> and it works. And I have this standing joke that my kids will be appalled that I'm telling that, you know, when I'm successful and we now have 70, 80 percent women on our county councils, I won't even have to change the name to see him elected. But uh, so anyhow, <laughs> that, that allowed us, you know, to we have She School and, you know, this kind of introduction to politics. My background would have been in politics uh, I would have taught a number of modules on the politics degree in, in Maynooth University and I mean that first we started in it was April 2020 with this newfangled thing called Zoom that I had to get to, to grips with and uh, I was thinking oh my god will anyone ever come to this or will I have to kind of persuade some of my family to turn up to take the bad look of it and we were oversubscribed uh, for the daytime session. We'd run it again the evening and run it again the next month and the next month. And it is still going every kind of six to eight weeks. And what that is, that introduction to politics, it's really kind of, you know, demystifying local politics. We kind of talk a little bit about active citizenship. We talk about the public participation networks. A lot of women have never heard of them. And then while they're in the class, they Google the club or the choir or whatever it is, and they find that it's actually in the public participation network. And that opens up possibilities for them. Um, and we talk about what the county council does, what its powers, you know, and the powers of county councils are quite restrictive in a European comparative context. And, and we look in detail at what the job of the county councillor entails. But we also listen to women as they're going, as they're, as, they're, as they're in she school and, you know, what are they looking for? So we'd often run talks or classes where women are learning from each other or learning from women who are experts in a particular area. And I suppose two exa recent examples of that would be, you know, there was big conversation about, you know, how realistic is it to be a county councillor if you have young children? So we had two councillors, Councillor Claire Claffey, the sole councillor in Offaly County Council, and, and Councillor Marie Cassily from Sligo. She's only one of three women in Sligo County Council. Between them, they have, I think it's 12 children. One is seven and one has five. So they came on and just talked about the reality of, you know, that combination of family responsibilities and how can you combine it with, with council work. Or another... Um, uh, example is we recently had a collaboration with Financial Justice Ireland around demystifying economic, um, that e the jargon that's around economics and this kind of focus on um, GDP as a measure of success and alternatives to that from a feminist perspective. And, uh, you know, if, it, if it's appropriate, can I say thank you to Financial Justice Ireland for providing that training for She School. Um, and I suppose if we're moving on then by 2021, what women were kind of looking for, what they were asking for was beginning to change. It was more uh, 
actually remember the exact point that the idea came into my head. Anyhow, it was a, a group of women from Donegal doing this introduction to politics. And one of them kind of looks down the camera at me and she goes, you're lighting a lot of wee fires there, Michelle. And, and what are you going to do about it? Uh, so, you know, and it was really that where do you start if you're not from a political family, uh, you're not in a political party, how do you start? So I've been thinking about it and I'm one of these terrible people to go on holidays with because I do all this research and I have a list of all the things I want to see. And, um, you know, uh, so nobody ever wants to go on holidays with me. But I thought, like, wouldn't it be great if there was a, a you know, a guidebook, you know, one of those eyewitness guidebooks or the Lonely Planet guidebooks that take you from planning your trip gives you all the useful information that you need and a section and all the things you need to know. And, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was something like that for running for election? Uh, and it didn't exist. So we wrote it. It's called the imaginatively entitled the See Her Elected Guide to Running in the 2024 Local Elections. If I can give it a plug, it's free to download in both English and Polish from our website. I and when will I make s- sure to link it to the podcast. <laughs> Hello, so when I say we, uh, who, who wrote it was myself and my wonderful colleague, Mairead O'Shea, who is a former journalist. Uh, she's now the communications manager for See Her Elected. And we collaborate with uh, Kathleen O'Mara, former senator, former councillor, now a public affairs consultant. And between the three of us, we kind of knew everything about politics from every conceivable angle. Um, and especially Mairead and Kathleen would have bought the practical knowledge, you know, that you only get from walking the walk in politics. And as I say, the result was the, the guidebook. And we have a series of workshops that go with that. Um, that take you. I... Sorry, go on. Yep. Sorry, can I ask you as well, just. I suppose you, you referenced earlier on just about the, the research and the barriers that women, mm. particularly women in, in rural Ireland, experience when they're even thinking about politics, if they think about politics. How did you target those barriers so that I suppose almost that imposter syndrome where, you know, I, I, I won't be good enough at it, even though I haven't tried it yet. Um, how did you target that to yeah. overcome it? With with knowledge, you know, with starting out with you know, what does a counsellor actually do? You know, what's their job actually like? With giving them something like the guidebook and the workshops that here's a book that has everything in it, list after list after list that you can tick off as you're going through it. And we're going to not hold your hand, but we're going to give you workshops to go with it. And it, it's it's an interest. It's interesting that you asked that question because we the foundation workshops started last November because that's another thing. This woman waiting to be asked, and when they're asked, it's often at the last minutes. They have they're not at the races because they haven't had time to think about their issue, to be able to articulate it, to start to raise their their profile. Um, so we were working with this group of women. There was over a hundred women signed up for it, and a good solid, I'm going to say, fifty or sixty there each month. Uh, Some of them thinking about running, some of them definitely not, but really want to be part of a campaign team. Uh, A lot on the fence, and that's absolutely fine. They'll never be under any pressure to to actually be a candidate. And, you know, perhaps I'm just laying the groundwork for 2029 with, with a lot of this. But we came to a point where they had to identify something they were going to do that could potentially identify them as a candidate in the 2024 elections. And a lot of them came slap bang up against the fear. You know, this, you know, 
the, the, the thought of putting themselves out there. A lot of them would, would, you know, not a lot, but there was some suggestion to that the work that they're doing. And we know if you're looking for women, you're going to find them flat out working in the community and the volunteers that somehow that work that they were doing would suddenly be questionable. Ari, you're only collecting for Ukrainians because you'd be looking for a vote, you know, that and that yes. found that really off putting. So again, it's kind of, I suppose, the innovative nature of she and she school was without right. Later on, we thought we needed to kind of do the public speaking, the confidence you believe in yourself. But actually, we thought, no, that needs to happen right now, right at the beginning. So uh, we managed to find, after a lot of talking, just to try and find the right person, um, uh, Claire uh, Scanlon from Canny Futures is the name of her company, and she's doing... um, two sets of workshops the first one was three weeks ago and then there's a follow-up one next week speaking to exactly that that imposter syndrome that that confidence the i you know and really helping women understand that they have this they can do this so yeah uh, yeah because there's such a huge amount of capacity and you know even if you take it take it away from this particular space but you you look at all the research around, you know, the, the second job, the mental load, all of that mm. stuff that women have huge organizational capacity for. Mm. But particularly if they if they're working within the home, they don't see that for the value that it is. They don't see that you're basically project managing constantly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you've got an additional job, you're juggling both of those things and project managing. Or if you're you're volunteering or working within your community, you've got all that additional skill sets as well. And it's it can be hard sometimes to take that step back. I see it in the, the PPNs, the public participation networks, mm-hmm. to be able to take that step back and value it. Yeah. And that's why in the introduction to politics, we start with active citizen and start with volunteering and putting a value on that, uh, even to the point of saying, if women down tools and stop doing all of this, like you know, capitalism would grind to a halt, <laughs> uh, you know, and to and showing that because I suppose the decisions that are made in our local authorities are those decisions that affect you as you go about your day to day life a lot. Uh, and women know where the gaps are because they're filling in those gaps in services and in funding with the volunteer work, with the community work that they do. So that makes them ideally placed to be county councillors you know so it's that and that's where we're starting exactly what you said is putting a value on that for women or helping them to see that brilliant um you said you know you you concentrate predominantly I suppose in in rural communities and you mentioned that there is a slightly higher rate of female participation in in more urban areas particularly the kind of the Dublin and greater Dublin area but within the Dublin or Greater Dublin area, and you, you may not have looked at it, but I'm just, I suppose I'm just wondering, yeah. um, you know, areas that may have higher levels of marginalisation or, or deprivation who may not be engaged with, you know, the, the political discourse, but mm-hmm. if they were brought into it might actually be, again, kind of forces of nature. Yeah. Is there anything around around that, around local? Not not all our urban areas are equal. Um, Cork City, for example, only has six women out of its 31 councillors. And Cork County actually is a real outlier. Um, you know, it's the only rural constituency with a large group of women councillors. There's 17 there out of the 55 or, or a third. And even I suppose in councils, even where overall they are at or approaching parity, you will have some local electoral areas that don't return a single woman in 2019. So an example for that might be 
John Mead in Dublin or Rush and Lusk in Fingal or Newcastle West in Limerick. So if we take Dublin City Council, I suppose, as a, an example, there's a really good mix of men and women in there. But in 2019, the southeast inner city, the north inner city and Pembroke. So very different. And my geography of Dublin isn't as strong as perhaps it should be. But different socioeconomic profiles, I imagine, in those local elections, they all returned more men than women. And then you would have Southwest Inner City, Kimmage, Rathmines, Clontarf, all voted in more women than men. Um, And then Ballymun, Finglas, Cabra, Glasnevin, they all gave us 50 or gave the people of Dublin 50-50. So... I'm not aware of any sustained patterns or of work having been done to see other sustained patterns over time of some urban areas returning more men than women and being able to link that into the socioeconomic profile of the electorate. But hey, you know, that's an idea for research sitting right there. Um, But what you don't get in urban areas is you don't see those entrenched patterns of men and often the same men being voted in time after time after time, like you see in rural Ireland, which creates scenarios that we get, for example, in County Leitrim, where in total, since the formation of the state, there's only ever been six, six women ever elected into Leitrim County Council. Or I was recently doing some work with Clare County Council, where there's only ever been nine, like in total, there's only ever been nine. And I was so annoyed about that statistic uh, that I sort of thought, right, the first woman was elected in 1979. So if there's been nine women over that same period, how many men have there been? And the answer was 96 different men had been elected over that same period where there'd only ever been nine. So since the first woman made it onto Clare County Council in 1979, the men elected could field six full hurling teams and have half a dozen subs while the, the woman wouldn't even be able to make up a single team. So I suppose even if you never thought about women in politics before, those kind of figures couldn't possibly sound okay to you. And what's your, I suppose, what's your end goal? Because you're right, those figures are absolutely not okay. I mean, they're they're crazy. Um, be, again, given that that women have so much to give, that we have so little voice in how it's distributed and how things how things operate. Is your end goal 50 50? Yeah. Is your end goal 95? Like, <laughs> well, well then I, it's, it's, it's 50 50. Uh, yeah. That's the way it has to be. But also within that 50 50, that there's a diversity of voices in there because they can't all be white, middle aged, middle class people either, because that's, that's not, our, I mean, our council chambers need to look like the people that they represent you know, half of us a woman. So that's a good starting point. But there's also a significant um, percentage of us who live with disabilities, uh, who have different ethnicities, different heritage, uh, different sexualities. So, you know, if all of that was being reflected within the decision making in county councils, decision making could only be better for it. Absolutely. I mean, I'm former lawyer, but certainly haven't gone through legislation that kind of deals with poverty or that deals with consumer debt or or any of those kind of areas that disproportionately disadvantage certain communities. Mm -hmm. And you look at how it's written and you just think this this is written from a place of a very different understanding of how life works and how life operates, whereas if it was much more collaborative, this would be a wonderful 
piece of work or a wonderful document. But yeah. tell me about She School. You you referenced it there earlier on, and you won an award. <laughs> I, I'm not allowed to talk about my awards at home because they're saying, if you mention that award one more time, I said, you can't, you can't expect the award winning <laughs> innovative <laughs> in politics person to, to lift your socks off your bedroom floor, surely. As you, know, you walk but... from room to room with it in your hand. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, actually, the, we, we went to Brussels to collect it and it's actually a really large piece of glass, which I then had to get home on a Ryanair flight uh, and explain to them that with, I have to confess to maybe a tad of a hangover that this was not a weapon even though it <laughs> met all the criteria for a weapon as far as they were concerned but uh, yeah in December 2021 we were awarded the innovation in politics award in the democracy category uh, in Europe and it's the first time Ireland has ever won in any category so it was really juries across the EU liked what we were doing they liked that we were concentrating on rural women um, they liked that simple see her elected model of demystifying local politics and of providing this very clear, very practical pathway for women with the uh, an accessible guidebook and, you know, to structure workshops about. They liked how we were responsive to women, what women want and not the other way around. And one of the things that got mentioned at the award ceremony, just as an example of, you know, some of the criteria they were looking at is the monthly workshops that we run for women who are thinking about uh, being a candidate or who want to help a woman get elected. You know, we weren't telling women, OK, it's on on a Tuesday evening, uh, take it or leave it. Again, we're kind of listening all the time to what we're being told. And women wanted a choice. So if they couldn't make their usual one, there was another one that they could go to. Uh, so that they wouldn't miss out. So our monthly workshops, we run the same workshop. It's in a particular week, but it's on four different days of the week. So you can go at Mondays at eight o'clock. You can go on Tuesdays at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, Wednesdays at 7 a.m. That's the three <laughs> alarm clocks in case I fall, don't wake up for it one. Or Thursdays at lunchtime. Uh, so women usually try to stick within their own group. And there's a lovely kind of a network feeling within the group. But if they can't make any one of those particular times, they know that they're not going to miss out. They can just swap to one of the other four. And I suppose it was that award and that recognition uh, that really would I say catapulted us? Is that the right word? Us forward, you know, you know, we're always going to keep our rural focus and we are only about local elections, you know, so, so we don't have distractions of, about trying to be, you know, all things to all people. But it, it made it no longer made sense for us to talk about being based in the Midlands or the Northwest when the reality is, is that we have as many women from Wexford and Cork and Clare as we do from Westmead or Sligo. And I suppose the other thing that the Innovation and in Politics Award brought with it was an interest from Europe and from the cabinet of the vice president of the European Commission on Democracy and Demography. And they could see how that simple she model could be replicated in rural areas across the EU. So they've asked us to map them that out for them. So that's a really interesting that's uh, possibilities that. opening up for some. I already have my name down to run the she office in the sunniest of locations <laughs> as, as I look out at the, the rain here. <laughs> but yeah, you know, so, so who, who knows? Who knows where it'll go? Where it'll go. We're, we're a small little team, myself and Marae, but with, with mighty ambition. Small but mighty is right. Um, <laughs> 
And just how can people get involved if they're if they're interested? That they just contact you, they just go yep. onto your website, see her elected.ie and just go yep. from there. Or yep. they don't That's have to be part of any particular group. They can just they get do involved. not. No, they just it's and it's actually it's for women who aren't part of anything and want to know where to get started is exactly the people we're looking for. Our number and our email is easy to find online. Just look for see her elected. And you're going to get either myself or Mairead. Actually, I think the main number up is me. And as anyone listening has probably gathered, I don't mind and I will chat at all. (laughs) So, you know, you'll find yourself on the end of the phone to me. And I think that's what a lot of women find appealing, not me per se, but, you know, everything we do is led by either myself or Mairead and our collaborator, Kathleen. Uh, So we get to know the women who are coming in to see her elected and vice versa. And it adds to that. I suppose that sense that what they're going to get is, you know, a consistent and sustained support from See Her Elected, that no one is ever going to be on their own taking this step into politics. And, you you know, you have somebody that you can pick up the phone to, even if it's just to bounce something off. So, yeah, pick up the phone, uh, email and I'll get back to you. Um, but there'll never be any pressure on me, you know, so like, you know, I would have friends who'd say, I'm not going next or near you. You'll have me up on a lamppost, me picture before I know where I am. And, you know, that's, you know, we're just as keen to get women or to talk to women and give them our guidebook and get them into the workshops who, who, who would, who never know that they'll never run for election might be just where they are in their particular life course, or they just know it's not for them. Uh, but they would do what it is to get a woman elected. They are equally as important to us as the, the candidates themselves, um, because I think that's vital to both success in 2024, but more, more importantly, perhaps laying the groundwork ahead into 2029. Yeah, very much so. Um, so you said that this is, I suppose, uh, you brought the initiative to the department. So it is a, it's a, it's a funded piece of it is, work. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to ask you the question that I hate because it's the question that comes up. And yeah. I think if it goes unanswered, then it just allows for, for people with particular views to have their own answer. Um, so what would you say to people who might write it off as, as gender washing or, you know, the same kind of arguments that come up all the time mm. when we talk about quotas and that kind of thing? OK, uh, well, we, we, we never make any. We're fully funded by the Department of Housing, Local Government and Heritage. And the decision to fund us is made directly by the minister. Uh, with responsibility for local government, which at the moment is Minister Peter Burke. And that's important, uh, that funding, because it allows us to offer everything we do for free. Um, That means it's accessible to everybody who has the ability to get online. No, not everybody has that, but we would often have people joining in on mobile phones. Um, So that funding, and that funding, I would very strongly argue is it's not an empty gesture. It's not a box ticking exercise to say, oh, sure, look, aren't we great supporting women? Aren't we giving a few bob out to see her elected and to to other NGOs? I've had enough conversations, I suppose, with the, the civil servants in the department and indeed with the minister to know that they're genuine about wanting to change the gender balance in councils in rural Ireland. And it's why they pushed ahead you know, for example, with the maternity leave provisions for county councillors that went before cabinet this week. It's why they have funded networks of women councillors to come together, even at the county level or regionally in caucuses 
because they they want to retain the women who are currently in uh, politics. And one of the things CHER Elected does is that we've partnered with the Association of Irish Local Government to provide the secretariat to the Women's Regional Caucus, which is 43 women councillors in pretty much the top half of the country. Um, and I suppose, just to answer, I saw specifically that gender washing question. I've, I suppose I've studied enough about politics. It, it's it, my PhD was in uh, on the politics of pensions. So I, I, I've studied enough about it to understand the power of what I would call this kind of incremental institutional change. And I suppose we we are, you know, if you ask somebody to describe a political institution, they'll think about a building. Uh, but if we think about it not as a building with rules about what goes on in that building, but if instead if we thought of a political institution as a recurring pattern of behavior that's repeated, so it's enduring and it, it becomes accepted as, as the norm. And that locked in institutional way of thinking, that culture, that can be hard to change unless, well, one way of changing it is some huge, big, exogenous shock. But what can unlock an entrenched pattern of behavior is, is incremental change. And it gets past the need for some big shock to promote change. But what it does is it disrupts the usual way of doing things. And, and it starts to create new possibilities. So if we think of that over-representation of men in Leitrim or in Clare or wherever it happens to be, if we start to think of that as a recurring pattern of behaviour, that this is the norm. And then if we look and see what the minister and what the department are doing by funding a programme like See Her Elected or indeed you know, other NGOs and local authorities to be more proactive about diversity in local and national politics, it's helping to, first of all, it's helping to discredit this culture that says a predominantly all-male lineup of county councillors is grand, sure isn't that the way it's always been. And it's starting to make this all-male lineup or predominantly male lineup look a little bit odd. And it's encouraging people to think, well, you know, that doesn't look like us. Like for a start, where's all the women? Uh, where's the people from different ethnicities? Where's the people living with disabilities? And there's a quote, uh, Sarah McInerney, who made it about uh, the pandemic, and she said that her enduring image of the pandemic will be all those men standing at po podiums, you know, telling us stuff. And, and, you know, if we can get to a point where that no longer, that that looks odd, people say, could they not find a woman? So I think that this, this, the funding and the programs that have been put in place are all, it's, it's all leading to that, um, you know, bringing about that institutional change, which I think incremental change, which I think in the end can get, become very powerful and can be the change that we want to see. Could the government be doing more? You know, of course, anything is possible. They could pull a big policy lever and change the entire voting system to perhaps like a list system where we would have alternating men and women and what other cohorts they want to reserve seats for. Are they likely to do that? No, they're not. I don't see the political will for something like for that. But what I do see is you know, that power of incremental change, and there is a political appetite for that, it's much more palatable to politicians, kind of chipping away at the political institution over an electoral cycle or two, uh, 
you know, until, you know, that norm of the overrepresentation of men in rural Ireland breaks down. Yes. And, you know, I, that that whole vision of men at the podium. I mean, I don't know if you saw any of the pictures from the National Economic Dialogue. Yes. Um, you know, again, 15 <laughs> men at the podium. Yeah. Um, and it, again, it, would, like it, it was acknowledged by the chair that there it was very male heavy. But I mean, it would have only that there was only ever an intention to have one woman there. And now, unfortunately, the, the Minister Heather Humphrey couldn't make it. But, you know, she still would have been standing on her own. Mm -hmm. um, and that brings me to my last question for you, uh, talking about the budget. Budget 2023 is coming up in a couple of months. Um, we're hearing new reports that it may not be October, it may be September. Mm -hmm. um, but what proposals would you make to government for the upcoming budget? Well, one thing I'd like to see copper fastened in it is the maternity leave provision for councillors the funding that's required for the administration support for those who want to, to um, continue with their uh, council work while they're out on, on maternity leave. Uh, I think it's been approved in principle, um, but I'd like to see that something, something a bit more solid than approved in principle. Um, and a lot of programmes in the NGO sector <clears throat> are funded on an annual basis us included uh, and maybe that's just another one of those recurring patterns of behavior that's the way it's always been type of scenarios but for the people on the receiving end of that and I'm part of that you know it can be what's the right word now it can be tough yeah that's the word that's the word I'd use anyhow as a, a single parent supporting two college going kids you know to not know with absolute certainty from year to year if your job and if your work would continue so I'd like to see a, a commitment. Um, I'd be asking for funding for consecutive electoral cycles, meaning, you know, that you can plan ahead for subsequent cycles beyond 2024 and recruit and retain people with that certainty that, you know, as far as possible, that their job is is somewhat secure. So, yeah, that would be that would be my ask. Yeah, you're, you've got a, a great point there. There's, you know, we talk a lot about precarious employment and mm. there were measures a couple of years ago to end zero hour contracts and that kind of thing. But in any sort of funded um, employment or funded initiative, whether it's a, a full program like the like yourselves or the, the community uh, services program or it's a scheme, there's really inbuilt precarity. Yeah, there is. And I, I don't. I, I don't know the reason for it, you know, uh, but it's it's it can be tough. You know, you put in your funding proposal late summer, early September. And and I'm not just speaking about see her elected. I'm sure across the community mm -hmm. and voluntary sector, uh, people are saying exactly the same things. And and then you're wondering, you know, uh, is, uh, is it going to go ahead? And you're listening to uh, Pascal and Michael chatting on the more about, you know, how we. <laughs> you know about the budget and it's like okay you know our jobs are part of this discussion you know so yeah I I, I think I'd like to see that as a maybe uh, something that's just looked at uh, with the people on the receiving end of that decision in mind. Yes it's, it's that inclusive piece again that you know mm -hmm. that is a fairly significant policy for community organizations yeah. across the board that, you know, more engagement, more dialogue on how these things are developed mm. would be very, very welcome. Uh, thank you so, so much, Michelle. This has uh, been 
incredible. As I said, <laughs> I will put the information up on the podcast as well. Is there anything you would like to plug as your final statement? Other than see her elected, come and have a chat to me if you are in any way interested in being a county councillor uh, in 2024 and changing the balance of some of those councils where there's one, two, three, four women get in touch and if it's not for you get in touch anyhow because there's there'll be a woman who would only be delighted to find people who know what they're talking about who'd get behind her so yeah let's see her elected brilliant thank you very much i hope you enjoyed that for more information about see her elected go to the website seeherelected.ie and check out all of the resources that are there including the she school information As per usual, if you have any comments or questions or suggestions for the podcast, please do get in touch with secretary at socialjustice.ie. And until next time, stay safe.